Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. What an amazing welcome. Hello, everybody. Happy Sunday. So good to see you. I got my life group ladies, I think, up front here <laughs> supporting me. Thank you, girls. Um, so good to see you today. So happy to be here and just worship with you. And what a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Juslaine. I am married to Pastor Verge. And so uh, to, together we have the, the blessing and the honor to be able to, to lead this beautiful church. And um, it really is the honor of our lives. Uh, Pastor Verge is actually in Arizona right now. He was in invited to a church that's celebrating their one-year anniversary, and so he's been with them all weekend. Uh, he was telling me last night how he had the opportunity to, to speak some leadership and train uh, some of the leaders in their church, and that it was such a great time, and, and today he's going to be uh, giving that Sunday message for them, and so uh, we're actually preaching at, I don't know if it's the same time. What time is it in Arizona? It's three hours earlier. Maybe not. He's probably just waking up, and that's okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to be continuing on this series, The Beatitudes. And um, so just to review, and by the way, if you're here for the first time today and you haven't heard the other messages, don't worry. You're going to be able to, to understand and receive the message today. Um, but just to give a little uh, review, the Beatitudes, um, it's important to understand that they're not just good wishes or recommendations, right? They are actual divine proclamations of truth, okay? And these nine Beatitudes um, all begin with the same word. Who remembers what the Beatitudes begin with? Anybody? Blessed. Very good. Or if you're blessed, if you want to sound a little, you know, fancier. Blessed are those. Or blessed are those. Which in the Greek means, is actually the word, I think it's pronounced makairios. I think. Anyways, but it means happy, is what the word means, is happy. So if you really think about it, this list of beatitudes is really a list of the way to happiness right? And so I want to give you guys a little context. I want us to remember what is going on in this moment. So Jesus is beginning to teach one of the most famous preachings or sermons that he ever teaches while he's on earth, okay? And it's called the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And so these Beatitudes are actually just like the preamble, just like the introduction to the actual sermon because the sermon is actually, actually three chapters long. The Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, continues Matthew chapter 6, and, and finishes in Matthew chapter 7. So it's actually three chapters long. Um, and these are just a few verses that are kind of like the introduction. So I want us to read together Matthew 5. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew 5. And we're going to read the, the first, we're going to read from verses 3 to 6. And let me see. All right. It says, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking these words. So if your Bible is like mine, the, the, the words are in red. That means that Jesus is speaking these words. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're going to stop there. We're going to um, pause and we're going to pray and just prepare our hearts for what God has for us today. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we give you thanks, Lord, for, the, for your goodness. We thank you, God, because we can come together, we can gather in your name, and your word promises that when two or more are gathered in your name, that you are here in the midst of us. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak. Have your way in each of our hearts today, God, and I just pray that every heart would be that fertile soil that would receive this word, um, that they would receive exactly the word that you have for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want you to think, and I want you to be honest, because honestly, first service, I don't know if they were completely honest with me, but if you were composing your own list of Beatitudes, right? If you were composing a list of ways to be happy, and let's pretend that you'd never heard of these Beatitudes before. Let's pretend you never heard, you know, you never learned. If you were here these past few weeks, you never learned any of this. You know, do you think that you would have put any of these, of the following things on your list? Happy are those that are poor. Happy are those that mourn. Happy are the hungry. Would anybody put that on their list? Okay, no, because I know I would not put any of those on my list, right? I think it's kind of interesting that I was, a, I was I'm the one teaching this one on being hungry and thirsty because uh, for those of you that maybe have been here in the past or for some time and have heard me share a little bit or maybe my husband share, uh, I'm, it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of. It's just a reality. Um, but I'm one of those people that can, if I don't eat for a certain amount of hours, like, don't hand me a couple of almonds, right? Like I can get hangry and I want a full meal, right? Okay, anybody else with me? Can, okay, thank you. There's some people and I get it. Like, like my sister, like she's hungry. She's like, oh, just grab a, a little apple and some almonds. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like I want a full meal, right? So I'm one of those people that if I don't eat well, and it's been a several hours, I can get hungry, I can get hangry, right? So when I hear the, this, this, these words of Jesus, and he's basically saying, Happy are the hungry people. I really stop and think, like, happy are the hungry people? I would think the opposite. I would think happy are the full people, right? Those that have, you know, that, that are full. Have you guys ever, there's a saying in Spanish that says, barriga llena, corazón contento, okay? It says, full belly is a happy heart, right? And so that's what I would think. And I think if we were, if we were honest and we were to write a list of these beatitudes, a list of, of ways that we would be happy or blessed, I think we would probably write something like, happy are the rich people, for they can get anything they want. Happy are those that laugh, right? Because they get to enjoy life. Happy are those that are powerful. They're on top of the world. Happy are those that are full, that their bellies are full and their thirst is quenched. That's probably what you and I would write. So it's interesting that Jesus begins this very important sermon with these nine Beatitudes. And it's important for us to understand that these are kingdom principles, right? That go completely against, completely in contrast to the systems of this world. And so that's why it's important for us to not just read these so quickly, because if we're honest, we could just skim through them in a couple of seconds. We could read all of the Beatitudes. But what we're doing in this series is we're really pausing to study the scriptures. We're pausing to dig deep and really understand what these truths that Jesus wanted us to, uh, what wanted us to understand and allow them to renew our minds, to change our hearts, because he will transform us from the inside out. And that is how we can experience true blessing. And so something that was very interesting when I was studying and preparing for this message is that there, um, the Beatitudes are two different things, all right? So I want you to understand all of the Beatitudes are two different things. And I'm going to give you a visual so you can understand this. I want you to take this away, okay? Uh, the Beatitudes are both a gate 
and a road. Right? Is that behind me? Awesome. Okay. So there's, there are a gate and they are a road. So how are the Beatitudes a gate? Because they tell us how we can get into the kingdom of God. You can't get into the kingdom of God if you don't realize that you are, that you are in poverty in your spirit. You can't get into the kingdom of God without truly mourning and lamenting your sin. You can't get into the kingdom of God without having a meek and humble spirit where we are completely surrendered, surrendered to God. And so that's how the Beatitudes are a gate, but they're also a road because they're also a way for us to understand and learn how to live successfully once we are already in the kingdom. Because if we stop living this way, we're going to lose our joy. We're not going to be happy if we uh, stop putting these things into practice. And so today we're going to be focusing on the fourth beatitude, which I will read again to you. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That is the promise at the end, that they will be filled. So I'm going to focus on three things today. First, we're going to study what is righteousness, Okay, what is righteousness? Number two, we're going to study what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? And finally, what does it mean to be filled? So let's start with point number one. What is righteousness? Everybody say, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Righteousness, if you didn't grow up in church, because I, I really didn't grow up in church, and so righteousness is a word that you may hear a lot about, or maybe you've heard people say, but you don't fully understand, right? And so it's important that we, we start, understand, start with this understanding. And so righteousness is defined as the quality of being right in the eyes of God. It's absolute, complete rightness, from the word righteous, right? Rightness, correctness in every area. Every area. Purity of heart and rectitude, of life. Okay, so do we understand what righteousness is? It's basically the quality of being right in the eyes of God, like perfect. There's, there's absolute rightness and completeness. Now, there's a little problem because who is righteous? Look at what Romans 3.10 says. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All right, so we're just going to pause there for a second and I want that to sink in. The Bible teaches us that none of us are righteous because we have all sinned, right? And so the Bible teaches us that sin separates us from God because God is a holy and perfect God. And so none of us are righteous in our own doing. There's nothing that we could ever do to ever earn this righteousness. Only Jesus is righteous because Jesus was the only one who lived, in this, lived on this earth a perfect, blameless life right? And so that is why, um, look at, I want to read to you this next verse, why Jesus can become a righteousness. Look what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. And by the way, I have a lot of scripture for you today. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along. And if for whatever reason you can't, you're, you don't find it, I want you to write down the verse so that you can read them later because I have a lot of, a lot of Bible verses for you. So we're going to first read 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, God made him, referring to Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, I'm going to read to you the same verse in a different translation so that we understand it a little bit better. This is a New Living Translation that I'm going to read to you now. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. All right, so are we understanding a little bit more now about righteousness? So righteousness is this, this um, ability to be right before the eyes of God. And on our own, none of us would ever make it. Right? No matter how good we try to be or all the things we try to do, we could never 
um, we could never be fully righteous. And so that is why we have the good news of the gospel. That is why Jesus came and lived on this earth and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross as a penalty for our sins. Not for his sin, because he had no sin. But he died in, 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 place, in our place so that he could become our righteousness. Isn't that good news? All right, so righteousness is also two things. So I want to explain to you. This is going to be a simpler way to understand it because you're probably not going to remember that definition I gave you. So I want you to remember that righteousness is right standing with God. That's the very practical definition, is your right standing with God. Okay, Romans 3, verses 25 to 26, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. I'm going to skip a little bit and go to the end of 26. It says, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Amen. Isn't that powerful? I think it's very clear there. And so um, righteousness, I said, is, stand, is having a right standing with God. And so that is what the Bible calls justification. Can everybody say justification? Okay, say it like you had some coffee this morning. Ready? One, two, three. Justification. Awesome. Okay, so right, justification. Uh, justification is, think about it this way, is just as if I never sinned. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, he justifies us. And so our lives are as if we had never sinned. I remember when I was growing up and I, I had the opportunity when I was very small, even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, uh, my parents put my sister and I in a Christian school. And so I remember being in preschool there and the teacher drawing a heart on the board and explaining that our heart was, was dark because of sin. And so there was, it, it was like colored, right? It was colored in. And then she explained how Jesus died on the cross to erase our sin. So she erased the heart. And I always remembered that visual. And that's basically what justification is. It's something that happens in the moment. In the moment that you recognize that you are a sinner and that you want to give your life to Jesus, accept his sacrifice on the cross, in that moment we are justified. So you are just as if you had never sinned. And in that moment we are made right with God, right? You can come into a relationship with God through Jesus. And so that is the gate. Do you remember that I explained to you that, that um, the Beatitudes are a gate and a road? So that's the gate, okay? Gate is that justification. It's that moment of salvation. And that comes through Jesus. Jesus says that he is the way, right? So that is that moment of justification. Now, righteousness is, is right standing with God, but it's also something else. It's also right living on earth, okay? So righteousness is also right living on earth. And that's the part that is the road, okay? So the the, the first definition, which is the right standing with God, that's the gate. But then the right living on earth, that's the road. And that's what the Bible calls sanctification. All right? So I want everybody to say it with me, like you had a little coffee or some kind of breakfast. Ready? Sanctification. One, two, three. Thank you. Okay, so what does sanctification mean? It is, this, it is not just a moment like justification is. Sanctification is a process. It is a journey. It is a road that we begin to walk on. Once we've walked in through the gate, and this is something that we do through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the reading of God's word, we are able then to have right living here on earth. And we begin to pursue the lifestyle that God intends us to live. 
And so that means that even though the culture around us is shifting, right? And, and we're hearing that this is now normal and this is good and that this is what this government thinks and this is what laws they've put into place or this is what my friends think or this is what the media is saying. That doesn't cause us to shift. We don't move because we are children of God. We are in his kingdom of God. And so we begin to pursue righteousness. We begin to pursue righteous living, right? And so I think that that's, some, that's sometimes where people can get stuck because they, they recognize Jesus as that justification part, like that right standing before God, that gate, but then they don't actually begin to walk in that, down that road of sanctification. And so then they wonder, well, why, why am I not satisfied, right? But look what Proverbs 14, 12 says. It says, there's a way that appears right, appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And so we need to be very careful and make sure that the, that the way that we're walking is not what appears to be right to us or what the world tells us is right, but we're walking in the way of righteousness, which is what God's word says. Proverbs 12, 28, it says, in the path of righteousness is life. In the path of righteousness, right, is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. So in this road, in this pathway of righteousness, there is life. And the word there that's used is like the fullness of life, right? The fullness of life. And it leads us to, 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 living, uh, to living in heaven forever. And so that's the first. So the first question I wanted to answer today is what is righteousness? We are clear now on what is righteousness, right? It's, it's the right standing before God, but it's also right living while we're here on this earth. The second question I wanted to answer is what does it look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, it's interesting because hunger and thirst are the two strongest natural impulses that we have as humans. God created you and I to be hungry from the moment we're born, right? We're hungry. And I think it's sometimes a little hard to understand what Jesus truly meant in this scripture when we live here in the United States of America. Because if we're honest, our version of hungry is, I was supposed to have lunch at 12 and my meeting went a little longer or mom didn't get the lunch ready and it's 12.45 and I'm starving, right? That's our version of hungry. Um, that's not what Jesus is referring to here, right? Now, I don't know if it's just in my household, um, maybe, maybe in some of yours, but sometimes, you know, not going to say names, but some of my children will say, like, let's say we just got back from an event or something. We're at a birthday party. Let's just to give an example, right? We wonder we're at a birthday party. They had pizza. They had food. We get home. Mom, I'm starving, I'm so starving. I'm like, didn't we just eat like, like an hour ago? Like, how is it that you're starving? Like, really starving? I don't know about that. And then they open the fridge and they look at everything. They're like, there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat in this house. And there's like a pantry. There's so many options of food, right? But no, like there's nothing to eat, right? That's not the type of hunger that Jesus is referring to here, right? That it's just like, I just can't, you know, I just can't find something to eat. The truth is, is that one third of the world truly knows what hunger and thirst are, right? They don't even know, um, one third of the, of the people in this world sometimes don't even know where, the, where their next meal is coming from. Do you know that today, in 2023, right now, in 2023 and today, um, in most underdeveloped countries, women and children have to walk an average about three and a half miles, which is about six kilometers a day. This is a day just to get drinking water. And we have the, the privilege and the blessing of we're thirsty. We just put the cup by the fridge and 
you know, there's, there comes the water. Or open, the, open the faucet and we have water around us. So sometimes when, when we're surrounded by so much, it's, it's difficult for us to understand this concept of hungry and thirsty. And so the generation, the people that Jesus was speaking to when he's standing on this mountain, he's giving this sermon, they understood what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. They understood that, when, that food and water were absolute necessities, right? It wasn't just like, oh, I'm not in the mood for that. I'm just not in the mood. I just don't, I know that there's, you know, I know that there's like pizza there. Or I know that there's rice and chicken, but I'm not in the mood for that. I think I want something else, right? They understood that if they didn't have food and water, they would physically die. And so the way that God designed us is that every day, multiple times a day, there's like little alarms that trigger in our brain, right? And they make our stomach growl. They make our mouth water, right? And we have cravings. And so why do you think that Jesus uses this, these words to describe the relationship that we, would, we should have with righteousness? It's because God gave us phys physical needs that mirror our spiritual needs, And just as food and water are a physical necessity for us, righteousness is a spiritual necessity. Without righteousness, we spiritually die. Look at how the psalmist described his desire for God in Psalm 42, verse 2. It says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Isn't that beautiful? We see that he's not speaking of a, of a physical thirst. He's saying that his soul, right? His soul is thirsting for the living God. He wants to meet with him. He wants to have a relationship with him. And we can, we can have that through Jesus. Look what John, uh, in John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so again, Jesus here is making a, a very powerful declaration. He's giving an illustration because he's not saying that he's physically a piece of bread, right? Or that he is water. He's saying that, that he, he, having a relationship with him, if we have a relationship with him, we will never go hungry and we will never, if we believe in him, we will never be thirsty. So why is it that we're not hungering after God? Why is it that we, if, if I were to ask you to describe your relationship with God, would you say that you're hungry and thirsty after him? Well, I think that there's two main reasons why we're not really hungering after God. And the first reason is I think we're filling up on the wrong things. And so I don't know if this has happened to you, but maybe um, you've been invited to an event, right? Maybe a friend's house, a gathering, and you're not really sure what, if first of all, are they going to have food? And what type of food is it going to be? And the truth is you've been running around the day and you're hungry. Okay, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just using an example. <laughs> and then you have to stop and get gas. And then you think, hmm, maybe I should go grab a couple snacks just in case, you know, I just don't want to get there and I'm starving. So then you come in and you grab, I don't know, what would you grab? Like some Takis. I know that's, that's like a thing that my kids are into. Some Pringles, some Oreos, some Slim Jims. What else? popcorn, cookies, okay? So these are some of the snacks, right, that we like, oh, maybe we want a little coffee, a little Gatorade, I don't know. You grab some snacks at the, at, the, at the gas station. And then you arrive to the party, and guess what? They catered your favorite place, like your favorite restaurant of all time. Like abundance, abundance of it. And are you hungry? No, like it smells amazing. It looks great, but it's just like, I'm just not that hungry, you know? I'll just, I'll just try a little bit because you have been, you filled up on the wrong things, right? What's interesting about junk food is that I think it tastes so good, but 
doesn't have anything nutritious that your body needs, right? Do we, we know this, right? That like Oreos really have nothing good for you, right? Um, and I think it's so funny because it's almost like, like the, the food, whatever, the food people of the world, like they want to get us to buy this food. So they make it really colorful and like, you know, they, they put commercials. They even put like, they have even characters, right? Like the Cheeto tiger, right? And like the, the Fruit Loops thing. And then like the M&Ms, like they have conversations. Like they're so cute. Oh my gosh, I want M&Ms, right? So they're trying to sell us. They're trying to get us to buy this and consume this food. But I want to ask you, has anybody here ever seen a commercial for broccoli? No, no. Carrots? No. Kale? Any commercial? No. I've never seen one either. But really, the food that God created, that's the one that's the healthiest for our body, right? And so I just want you to think of this example because I think that many times this is what happens in our spiritual life. We're not hungering after God because we're filling up on the wrong things, right? We're filling up on the things around us. And so it led me to, to, to think about a character in the Bible, in the Old Testament, which is uh, King Solomon, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Solomon was the son of King David. And then he, he was the one who became king of Israel. And so the Bible says he was one of the richest, he was the richest man of Bible times. Like the man was so rich, right? And um, he also, the Bible also teaches us that he was also the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote the book of Proverbs. It's one of the a very popular book in the Old Testament. He wrote the, most of the book of Proverbs. And it's full of so much wisdom. Um, but he also b wrote another book uh, called Ecclesiastes. Can you say Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes, okay. So that's also in the Old Testament. And if you've ever read it before, it's actually, it's, it's kind of a sad book. It's kind of depressing. I mean, I, I remember reading it. I'm like, wow, this is, this is really sad. So I want to share with you a little, little of this wisdom so I'm not gonna, we're not going to read all of Ecclesiastes, but I just want to show you that Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament that's about 12 chapters long, and it's basically the story of a man who literally tried every food in the refrigerator, and nothing could fill him up. It's like he tried it all, and he was still empty. And so in the first chapter, we see that he tries knowledge, and he tries education. And so Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Wow. Now, this is not a reason to like quit school, guys. Okay? Just, clar just clarifying for those students. But basically, what he was trying, what King Solomon is saying there is like, hey, I thought that having all of this knowledge and all this education, that that was going to bring me complete fulfillment. And it didn't. So then he continued reading in chapter 2. In verse 10, he says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Wow. He had tried, you know, building his career, you know, working so hard, wealth, right, pleasures. And after all of it, after tasting all of it, it was all so meaningless. And so you continue on in the chapter five. In chapter five, this one is kind of funny. I mean, sad, but funny. It's in, in verse 10. It says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's the part I thought was funny. <laughs> the more money you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Wow, that's pretty deep, right? And this is the man who was the, mo the richest man 
in the, in the Old Testament, like that we see in the Bible, like the richest man, he had all of the riches. And here he is saying that, look, it's, it's meaningless. It slips through your fingers. So then Solomon goes on and he tries popularity. Like, think about this. He is the king, like the king of Israel. Like people, it says that, that other, uh, the queen of Sheba came and, and traveled across the land to come and see what, you know, who this man was and to meet him and to see all of his wealth and to see if it was really true. Like that's, he was, like people would travel to see him. This is before social media, guys. Like there wasn't any posts of like his, like riches and his kingdom. They had just, he was so famous that people, you know, would come to, to see what he had and so he's a king now he tries popularity imagine he is he has people serving him all kinds of servants around him and even though he wasn't physically alone he was still very lonely and after chapter five he continues he tries partying he tries women um, this verse you can just write it down because I don't have it here for you but I do want to read it because I when I read it, I was like this is this is for somebody out here just kidding okay first Corinthians first Kings it's in first Kings 11 verse 3 first Kings 11 verse 3 and it's talking about Solomon and it says that King Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines okay a thousand. Yeah, exactly. Poor guy. He had a thousand women. This is not, okay, this is not like God is recommending this. I'm just telling you that this is how, how empty he was that he thought that if he had more women, that he would be satiated, that he would be filled. But look at what it continues on and says, and in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So Solomon tries it all. Money, you know, fame, power, work, everything, knowledge. And if he's, so we're going to skip all the way now to chapter 12, to the end of his life where he comes to a conclusion because he realizes that none of these things satisfy him. And so we're, I'm going to read in verse 13, and this is what he says. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. So after all of his life, after trying it all, he realizes that the most important thing is that we would fear God. Now, for those of you who've been here in the past few weeks and months, we just finished a series called The Fear of God. And for those of you that were not here, honestly, I highly recommend it. It's one of the most powerful, impactful series that, that we've done here at Vertical. It has really impacted my life. And it's important for us to understand that fear of God does not mean that we're scared of him and that we want to run away from him. On the contrary, it means that we have a reverent love and deep respect for him and that we run towards him right? Or we run towards God. We want to have a relationship with him. And so that's what Solomon is saying here. We need to fear God. We need to run towards him. We need to have a deep reverence for him. And, and, and it says here that we should obey him, right? Obey his commands. Because once we get there, we want to also live out in a way that is righteous, live righteously, right? And, and obey his word. So I want us to pause for a moment. I want us to just think right there where you are, you can close your eyes if you want, just so that there's no distractions. And I want you to think. I want you to consider the things in your life. I want you to consider what are the things that you are consuming that are leaving you empty, that aren't really filling you up, that have left you unsatisfied. What's on your list? If you were to write a book like King Solomon did, like the book of Ecclesiastes, what would that look like? list look like? 
What are you craving? What are you craving that really isn't something that is righteous? What are you spoiling your appetite with that causes you not to hunger after God because you're filling yourself up with the wrong things? What would it look like? I want us to think, I, I saw recently this, this reel, and it's like, what would it look like if the first thing you did when you opened your eyes was grab your Bible instead of grabbing your phone? To look through your emails, to respond to messages, to scroll through social media. What would it look like if the first thing that you allowed in your heart and in your mind was the Word of God? What would your life look like if you took more time to, to worship God to pray, to read his word instead of spending hours binging Netflix. And you see that these things may taste good at first, but it's just like junk food. It never is going to truly satisfy you. They really leave us feeling empty. And so I want us to read Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 2. It says, the Lord says, all you who are thirsty, come and drink. And those of you who do not have any money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. So what the, the prophet Isaiah is, is encouraging us to do is not to spend our efforts and our time and our money on things that will not satisfy that we should really eat what is good. It's time for a different meal. For those of us that have been filling up on the wrong things, it's, it's time for us to change our meal. And so I think that there's a second group of people that aren't hungering and thirsting after God. And maybe it's not because you're filling up on the wrong things. It's truly because you've just never experienced the goodness of God. You've never experienced it, so you don't hunger after it. So I don't know if... if um, if, it, if you can think of an example for yourself, I know Pastor Verge uses the, this example a lot, but it's very true for me as well. So he, he says, he gives that example that ceviche, you know, for those of you that are Peruvian, I guess other countries also make ceviche, but it's basically like a raw fish that's cooked in like lime. And um, he says that his life was changed with ceviche. He's a little exaggerated, right? Okay, the life wasn't changed, but he really, I'll say we really love ceviche. We really enjoy a good ceviche. And um, what's funny is that as a child, I like hated seafood. Like I hated fish, anything that smelled like fish, seafood. I mean, I thought it was disgusting. And I remember that, I remember moments where we would go out to eat and my dad would force me to try it. Like he was like, open your mouth, open your mouth. You're going to try it. I would start crying. I was like, ah, like, no, I don't want to. And I have this like very, this is like, what do they call those now? Those core memories, right? I think that's the word now. Core memories. It's like this moment. I remember being in this chair, like we were at a Peruvian restaurant and my dad is holding a tentacle of an octopus. And he's like, open your mouth, try it. And I was like, no, no, I didn't want to try it. I don't remember, honestly, if I ate it or not. I just remember I was being traumatized by just having it dangling over me. But you want to hear something hilarious now? I love seafood now, and grilled octopus is one of my favorite things to eat. Isn't that hilarious? Okay, I know that it probably, if you've never had it, I can understand that probably sounds gross to you, right? Because it's like the tentacle, and it's kind of gross. I get it. I know it looks kind of gross, but honestly, if you haven't tried it, you do not know what you are missing, right? <laughs> and I think in the same way, there may be someone here today who is not really hungering and thirsting after God, not because you're just filling up on the wrong things, but because you really don't even want to try it. You're like, mm, no thanks, no, I'll pass. Like, no thanks on, on any of that. And maybe it's because someone 
you know maybe hurt you. Maybe you had a bad experience and someone offended you. And you, and maybe they, they call themselves a Christian. Or maybe it was in a church and something happened. And so now you blame that on God. Maybe you have a negative opinion on Christianity because someone left a bad taste in your mouth. And so I want to encourage you to give God a chance, to, to try him. Look what Psalm 34, 8 says. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, I want to encourage you to just taste. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like the song that we were singing at the end, like, if you seek him, you will find him. He's not a God that's trying to hide and you're chasing after him and he's like, oh, no, you're not going to find me. No, he wants us to experience his goodness. And the last point I want to talk about is what does it mean to be filled? So we've talked about what, is, what does it mean? What does righteousness mean to understand that, right? We've talked about what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so what does it mean to be filled? And so the beautiful part of this beatitude is that this is the, the promise that when we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after this right standing with God, after this right living while we're here on earth, he promises to fill us. And this word filled, it's like, it means to be like gorged, like to be filled to the full. I, like imagine like you're eating a meal and you got to loosen your belt, like that kind of like wear stretchy pants. Yep, that kind of meal. That's what God is promising us. He promises to completely satisfy us. Psalm 107.9, it says, For he, speaking of God, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. God promises that he will satisfy us. Those that are thirsty and that are hungry, he will fill us with good things. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a really fancy restaurant, like those fancy restaurants where you don't even know like what language the, the menu is in, right? And you're just like, oh, everybody said it was good, five stars. And you're just like, okay, so I, I'll order the whatever language, right? And you order something and then you're like hungry because you're like so hungry. You did not eat junk food because you knew you were going to spend a lot of money at this restaurant. And so you come to this restaurant and then you're so hungry and then they present this dish to you. Do we have it here? It's like tiny. It's like, oh, this is my main entree. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Like, is this just a little appetizer? But no, like that's your meal. Has that ever happened to you? And you're just like, oh, three raviolis. Oh, that's delicious. Like, you're like done eating in two seconds, right? Um, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, right? But I just want to clarify that this is not what God's talking about. He's not telling you, hey, I'm going to give you something good and amazing, but it's just a little bit, just a little tiny bit. No, he, he promises to fill us. So instead of picturing this, I want you to picture like a banquet, like a meal. Think of like Thanksgiving dinner, right? Like, ooh, that's coming up soon, huh? Only a few more months of Thanksgiving. That's like my favorite holiday. I wear my stretchy pants on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but that is a type of, of, of complete satisfaction that God wants to fill us with. He says that when we're hungry and thirsty for him, when we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he will fill us. And so it's interesting, right? Because how can you be hungry and thirsty, but also completely satisfied? Right? Like, how can you be hungry and thirsty, but then completely satisfied? And it's because you and I, God created us with a bottomless soul. He created us to be hungry. Just like he did in the physical, he created us like that in spiritual, right? Because if we eat, we eat today, right? We have breakfast today. Are you going to be hungry in a couple hours, right? 
right? Sometimes you eat so much and you're like, okay, I'm not eating till tomorrow. And then a few hours go by and you're like, okay, I think I'm hungry. What what could I eat, right? So in the same way, our spirits, there are our souls are, are, are bottomless. And, and the reason why he created this this way was not to like taunt us so that we're just like, oh gosh, nothing, nothing ever satisfied. The reason he created us this way is because he knows that there's not a single person on this earth or a single thing, a position, amount of wealth, riches, fame, popularity. There's nothing that will ever satiate that hole that we have. Only Jesus can fill it because he is the only one that is eternal. The Bible says that God is an everlasting fountain. It's a fountain that never runs dry. The Bible says that God is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. So that is why he is the only one that can completely satisfy that thirst and that hunger that we have. And it's so beautiful because we can come to church and we can worship God and we can experience his goodness and his presence, right? We can read the word, we can study the word and leave church feeling encouraged, feeling full. But guess what? Tomorrow we wake up and we're like, God, I want more of you. I want to worship you. I want to spend time with you. I want to read your word and learn more about what your, what, what does your word teach me? How can I live righteously? Right? And then the next day comes up like, hey, today's life group. I'm so excited for my life group because I'm going to go and I'm going to worship and I'm going to grow together with my family and the faith. So you see, God has given us, he, he says that those that hunger and thirst after him, he will satisfy us. And so we can be both hungry and thirsty, but at the same time be completely satisfied. If you want the bread and drink that will completely satisfy you, you don't have to wait any longer and you don't have to look any further because it is found in the person of Jesus. You know, I was thinking when I was uh, studying this, just a memory came to mind that as I grew up in South Florida and uh, growing up, the home that I grew up in had a pool. And there was like a season in our lives. There was a season where nobody ever got in the pool ever. But then there was like a season that was like, I don't know, maybe like seven years old to like maybe 11, where we would get in the pool all the time. Like if it was summer, we were in the pool having fun at all times. And so, um, I, you know, I'm sure for most of us, when we're in the water all day, right, whether it's a pool or the beach or we're in the sun, usually we get really hungry, right? We usually get really hungry, right? Our appetites are, um, are you know, are, are like awake, right? We're, we're super hungry. And I remember that I would be hungry and I would ask, my, I would see my mom making lunch and I was like, mom, I'm so hungry. Can you please just bring us some food? We want some food. Can you just make some sandwiches? And she would take out like a tray of like baby carrots and apples. And I would get so annoyed. I was like, I don't want carrots and apples. I want like a sandwich or give me like some cookies or something that's going to like make me feel satiated, right? But the reason why she didn't want me to eat that is why? She didn't want me to ruin my appetite, right? She didn't want me to ruin my appetite. And it's funny because I say that to my kids now. When the, my kids are, they're, they're wanting to eat and they want a snack. I said, uh-uh, no eating anything. Like you can have like, I tell them only fruits or vegetables, until dinner time because I want you to be able to enjoy your meal, right? And I do that because I love my kids and I want them to be filled with good things, right? And in the same way, God in his grace is telling us that today. He wants, he's telling us, hey, I'm gonna give you a little, there's some things in this world that are good and it's, it's good. It's gonna fill you for a little bit, right? Not every, it's not everything that it's junk, you know? There's a lot of good things that can, that can give us a little taste of heaven, But ultimately, he wants, he is the only one that's going to truly satiate us 
as we have a relationship with him. And until the day that we are in heaven, we're going to experience everything that he is and all of that that he has for us. But he doesn't want us to ruin our appetite. He wants us to come to him and recognize that he is the only one that will satiate, that will fill us. To, he will fill us. And so to close, I want to I do two prayers. I want to pray uh, first for maybe those that are here today and recognize that, they, that you really haven't had a true hunger and thirst for God. That you realize that maybe you've been filling up on that junk, on the junk around us that the world is offering and that it's been, it's been leaving you empty. I want us to pray so that we would be a people, that we would be a church that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, to have a right standing before God through Jesus, but also a right living on this earth through the power of His Spirit. So let's bow our heads and, and let's pray. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And we ask, God, that you would lead us to go all in with you, Lord, that we would hold nothing back. Lord, that we would seek your kingdom first, that we would seek your righteousness, that we would trust that you are good, God. And that as we hunger and we thirst for you, as we pursue your righteousness, God, I pray that we would find the joy and the satisfaction and the blessing that only comes from you, God. God, I pray that right now you would show us, that you would reveal to us, Holy Spirit, if we have been ruining our appetites for you, God. If there's anything in our life that we've been consuming that has taken away our appetite for you, Lord. We recognize, Lord, that you are the only one that can fill us and satisfy us, for you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening. And God bless you.